Good morning. We're doing a series on the church. Let me ask you a question. What what are we known for as a church? Probably most people would say we're known for Bible teaching, which is a good thing. I, I want people to know that if you become part of this church, you're going to hear the Word of God taught, and it's not going to be watered down, it's not going to be compromised, it's not going to be edited. But you know, my fear is that when we teach the Word of God, it's easy to become academic about it. We said earlier in this series that teaching is designed not to inform, but to transform. And it's easy sometimes to become sermon junkies. So I love that sermon, and I got that sermon, and I got it in my notes, and I'm going to put it in my little file cabinet, and it never affects our lives. We were not called to be a seminary. We are called to be his body. And we are not an organization. We are an organism. We are alive. We are active. We are infused with the life of Christ. And we have been camping out in Acts chapter 2, noting what characterized life in the first church. And it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 about them that they were praising God. So like the early church, we are to be a worshiping community. I have to be honest with you. As I watch some of you and as I listen to some of you, I get the impression that you think all the stuff that happened early in the service was just the preliminary to the main show. That it was just the warm-up band for the message. Let Let me say something this morning that I'm going to hopefully support. Worship is the main show. The message, the teaching, the parts, not the main show. Worship is the main show. The word worship in Scripture means literally to attribute worth to. The common word in the New Testament is the Greek word proskuneo which means to bow before, to prostrate yourself before. When Paul begins his prayer in Ephesians 3.14, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. So worship is the active response where we, with all our being, declare worth to God. All our being. Our actions, our attitudes, our lips, 
even our body language, we declare worth to God. We celebrate God, honoring Him, adoring Him, praising Him, glorifying Him, exalting Him. To worship God is to ascribe worth to Him and to Him alone. One of the most common questions I get asked is if God knows everything and He knew ahead of time that we were going to sin, why did He make us? Well, you know, God could have prevented that. He could have made us robots with no free will. And then we would walk in obedience and we would worship God every day. But God chose to make us in His image. God had a higher purpose for you and me. And to make us in His image, He risked the fact that we'd fall into sin. He committed Himself to the sacrifice of His Son so that you and I would have a free will because God's highest purpose for you and me is that we would choose to worship Him. Have you ever thought about that? My highest purpose on earth is to worship God. Let me support that in Scripture. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The very first commandment has to do with worship. Why? Because that's the priority. Jesus put it in a positive way in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 33 when He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With all my being, I am to love the Lord and ascribe ultimate worth to Him and to Him alone. The whole point of the tabernacle and the priesthood in the Old Testament given in, all, in such detail is to show Israel the priority of worship. In the Bible, whenever you see angels in the presence of God, what are they doing? They are worshiping Him. I love Isaiah 6 where it talks about the seraphim. It says they have six wings. With two they flew... With two, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their faces. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Every time we see the church in heaven in the book of Revelation, what are they doing? They are worshiping God. They are falling before His throne. And they are attributing ultimate worth to Him. And what the church is doing in heaven, the church ought to be doing on earth. whole book of Psalms is a call to worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Did you know that God is searching for something? Say, God? God is searching for something? Yeah. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And in John chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You put those two verses together, you know what it tells us? God is seeking lost people to redeem them in order that they might worship him. You see, you are not just saved to make you happy. You are not just saved to keep you out of hell. God created you and gave his son to redeem you so that you could worship him. That's our highest calling. When the wise men from the east finally found Jesus in Matthew 2.11, it says they fell down and worshiped him. When Jesus walked on the water in Matthew chapter 14, and the disciples got a glimpse into who he really is. When he got back in the boat, you know what it says? They worshipped him. Whenever we see who Jesus really is, we worship him. That's why it says in a future day, every knee will bow because they will recognize who Jesus is. After his resurrection, when the disciples finally understood who he was, Jesus appeared to them in Matthew 28, 17, and it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. I love the description of a guy named Titus Justus in Acts 18, 7. It introduces this guy, and it simply says this about him. He was a worshiper of God. That should be like saying he's a Christian, he's a Christ follower, he's a worshiper of God. Because a believer understands who Jesus is. And when we understand who Jesus is, we should be characterized as people who bow before him and worship him. Remember in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus came to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house and it says Martha was busy preparing dinner. She was busy and she was distracted and she was frustrated. I like to cook and sometimes I get frustrated when I'm cooking. You got three pots going in the oven, something's in the oven and you're trying to do all these things at the same time and it's easy to get frustrated. Martha's cooking. Where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, which really frustrates Martha. So Martha takes out her frustration on Jesus and tells Jesus what to do, which is a bad start. Tell Mary to come over here and help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. When Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by so many things. But only one thing is really necessary. And Mary has chosen that better thing. What's that tell us? Worship is better than service. Martha's serving, doing it for Jesus. Jesus says, Mary has picked the best thing. She's sitting at my feet and worshiping me. 
that same Mary shows up again in John chapter 12. And this time she takes a pound of costly ointment. We're told that ointment costs a year's wage. She took this costly ointment, let's say a year's wage is $45,000, okay? Maybe you make twice that much, three times that much. She goes out, takes $45,000 and buys some ointment. And she brings it to Jesus and she breaks the bottle and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And then she takes her hair, which tells me she had to kneel down. She takes her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. What's that tell you about worship? Worship is costly. Jesus deserves your best. And second, worship is humble. Because the Bible tells us, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that a woman's hair is her glory. So she took the thing that for her was her greatest attribute, her greatest glory, and she humbled herself and used that glory to give him glory by anointing his feet. And Judas spoke up and said, what a waste. We could have sold that ointment for $45,000 and given it to the poor. And Jesus said, you always have the poor, but you don't always have me. What was Jesus saying? Worship is more important than welfare. You put those two acts of Mary together and what do we learn? Worship is more important than welfare and worship is more important than service. But if we're honest, we are a generation of Marthas. You ask anybody how they're doing, and one of the first words that come out of their mouth is what? I'm too busy. We're like Martha. We love to get really busy. And even in church, we're busy. We have our programs. We have our activities. We're organized. We're thrifty. We would never be wasteful on anything. And yet we're often distracted and frustrated. And meanwhile, God is searching for people like Mary who will kneel at his feet and give him the best and humbly take their own glory and exalt him. Your highest purpose in life is to worship Him. So let me ask you a question this morning. How do you get ready for church? You say, Pastor, you don't want to know. 
Our house is chaotic when we're getting ready for church. I remember as a kid getting ready for church. Uh, I'm old enough that getting ready for church mostly happened on Saturday night. And on Saturday night, I, I remember we would always have to get our shoes out and polish our shoes on Saturday night to get ready for church on Sunday. We would have to get out our Sunday go-to-meeting shirt and have mom iron that shirt. We would uh, take a bath on Saturday night. We just, I just washed my hair once a week when I was a kid. They say it helps keep it healthy. <laughs> and uh, you don't want to wash it too much. Take a bath. Find your Bible. I had it last Sunday. I don't know where the thing went. That's what we call getting ready for church. Let me give you another checklist this morning. I've put it in your bulletin. Things to do to get ready for church. Things to do to get ready for corporate worship together if we're going to be people who enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I've written them in question form so you can answer simply yes or no. First question, am I a living sacrifice? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is where worship starts. When you place yourself on the altar. So let me ask you, are you there? As you come to corporate gathering of the church today, is your body on this altar that God's talking about? The word sacrifice suggests two things. Number one, something voluntarily surrendered. And secondly, something that is dead. Which means you you give voluntarily your body to God and you don't give Him 50%, you give Him 100% because that's the only way you gave a sacrifice. It had to die, which was complete and full. So Paul is saying, when I voluntarily surrender my life fully to God and I die to myself, my wants, my desires, my ambitions, my ego... That's worship. And when I do this and I come into corporate worship, guess what? The question on my mind is not, what do I want? The question on my mind is, what does God want? See, you can come in here on Sunday and you can sing at the top of your voice, you can hit all the notes, you can stay on key, You can harmonize, you can mesmerize, you can homogenize.
But if you haven't come to the altar described in this verse, you are just making noise. Because Paul says, this is acceptable to God. Which tells me that anything less is what? Unacceptable to God. If I'm not giving my body voluntarily and fully to God, then my worship is unacceptable. Wow. How'd you do on question one? We'll go on anyway. Second, am I loving people? Turn over a couple chapters to Romans 15. Verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is corporate worship right there. Everyone with one mind and one voice and one purpose glorifying God. Now, how do you accomplish that? Look at verse 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How do we accomplish this? It's real simple. We just adopt Christ's attitude toward other people. When you reach out to someone, and make them feel welcome, make them feel accepted, make them feel forgiven, make them feel loved, that's worship. That's how Jesus accepts you. I think of the example of Peter, who denied Jesus with curses. It doesn't get any worse than that. In his mind... The relationship with Jesus is over. And so in John 21, it says he went fishing. Now for Peter, fishing was not a hobby. Fishing was his career. And so Peter is saying, I failed as a disciple. I denied Jesus with curses. So I basically am fired. So I'm going fishing. That's the only thing I know. I'm changing careers back to fishing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to Peter's favorite fishing hole. And he finds him. And he accepts him. And he forgives him. And he restores him. And Paul says... That's the way our relationships are supposed to be with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. How important is this? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering. Go. Be reconciled first to your brother and then come back and present your offering. You see, if you come here to worship on Sunday and you can't stand the guy across the room, forget about worshiping. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Put the worship aside because there's something you need to do first. And that's reconcile that relationship. Maybe you need to get up right in this service and go over to somebody and tap them on the shoulder and say, we need to talk. I need to apologize. We need to work out our relationship. Genuine relationships are a prerequisite to genuine worship. So can you say yes? I'm loving people. My relationships are right. Check. Third question. Am I bringing others to Christ? Look in this same chapter at verse 16. Paul says at the end of verse 15, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I love that. Paul calls the people he is bringing to Christ his offering of worship to God. Did you get that? Evangelism is worship. Now, when is the last time you worshiped God this way? Who is the last person you brought to Christ? Because that is worship. You want to really enhance your worship? You want to come in next Sunday with a heart overflowing with praise for God? then come here standing next to someone who would not be here if you had not shared the gospel with them. And that will amp up your worship because that is worship in itself and that person is really an offering of worship to God. Fourth, am I giving my resources? Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. Paul says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When I give to somebody's ministry, when I give to meet the needs of another person, Paul says, that is an acceptable sacrifice in fact, it is a fragrant aroma. If you would hand me your checkbook for five minutes, I could tell you who you worship. I could tell you who you attribute greatest worth to because it's recorded right there. See, when we give to God... By giving to the ministry of others, that's worship. In fact, already we've seen that giving is a huge part of worship because we give ourselves to God, we give love to others, we give the gospel, we give our resources. Giving is an expression of worship. 
And then fifth, am I bearing fruit? Go back to the first chapter of Philippians, verse 11. Paul says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. When God's fruit is produced in my life, rather than the junk that my flesh produces, that brings glory to God. That is worship. Godly living is worship. Personal holiness is worship. Do you think of it that way? Every time I choose to do what God tells me to do, it is worship to Him. And not only does my life glorify the Lord, but the Bible tells me I can also cause other people to worship Him. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul says in Galatians 1.24 that others were seeing the changes God had brought about in his life and they were saying... Uh, they, or he says, they were glorifying God because of me. When we allow God to plant his seed in our life and produce his fruit in our life, that is worship. Then sixthly, am I believing God's promises? And go back to Romans chapter 4 for a moment. Verse 20. For context, look at verse 19. Talking about Abraham. Abraham was 100. His wife Sarah was 90. God said, you're going to have a child. Verse 19 says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He looked at his body all wrinkled up. He was a hundred. He looked at Sarah and her womb was a tomb. And God said, you're going to have a child. What happened? Verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. All the circumstances said no. God said yes. And Abraham believed God against all odds. And when we do that, it is worship. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, so, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him... The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what amen means? Amen means so be it. When we say so be it to the promises of God, not only here on Sunday, but out on the street all week long, it is worship. Are you believing the promises of God. You know, I, I've wrote some of them down. Not the eternal, unconditional ones. We love those. The conditional promises of God. Are you worshiping God by believing the promises of God? You know, if you go through your life 
saying, I feel all alone. You are not worshiping. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you go through life saying, that's impossible. That'll never happen. You are not worshiping. Because God said with him, all things are possible. If you go through life saying, I'm too tired, you're not worshiping. Because Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. If you go through life choosing the fleshly way and not praying the way you should, you are not worshiping. Because there's a great phrase in James chapter 5. It says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That's a promise. If you will walk rightly and pray fervently, God says, much will be accomplished. If you go through life saying, this is awful, couldn't get any worse, you're not worshiping. Because what does God say? All things work together for good. If you go through life saying, I'm panic-stricken, you're not worshiping. Because God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Are you worshiping God by saying amen to the promises of God? You should be going through life saying, I'm never alone. All things are possible. I always have rest in Him. I'm walking rightly, praying fervently. This does look bad, but all things work together for good. I am not afraid because He is with me. When you do that, it glorifies God. Is your life saying amen to the promises of God? Seventh question. Am I depending on God's strength? And for that one, look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. First Peter 4.11, great verse. It says, whoever speaks is to, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Depending upon God's strength is worship. So when it comes to a ministry opportunity, God is not glorified when you proudly say, I can do that. And God is not glorified when you timidly say, I can't do that. God is glorified when you say, I can't do that in my strength. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens God is never glorified by self-confidence. But he is always glorified by God-confidence. 
And then one more thing on your checklist. Am I praising Him with my lips? And for that, Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. We can praise God with our lips. We can attribute worth to Him with our lips. And that's really what we primarily do when we gather here for collective worship. We use our lips to praise the Lord. So I hope you see that we worship God by ascribing ultimate worth to Him in our actions, and we worship God by attributing ultimate worth to Him with our words. It is our life and our lips. And that's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, do all, do what? Do all to the glory of God. So worship is a way of life. Worship is to be expressed in every moment, in every circumstance, in every setting of your life. And when we are not doing that individually, then collectively we are failing as a church. If you think that you can walk any way you want to from Monday through Saturday and then come in here on Sunday and worship the Lord, you are dreaming. You see, worship is not being in a church building. Worship is not a certain kind of mood music. Worship is not going through religious rituals. Worship is when my life is fully surrendered to God. Expressed in obedience that comes from my heart and continual praise that comes from my lips. And when each one of us begins to grasp this, that worship is a way of life, then guess what happens? When we gather together on Sunday, it becomes a time when we're overflowing with praise for the Lord. You see, congregational worship is not doing something different on a particular day. It is doing on one day together what we have been doing individually all week long. If you are worshiping God Monday through Saturday and we show up on Sunday, we're going to have a great time of worship because God is going to be glorified and He's going to be pleased with that. If we come in on Sunday having walked in the flesh all week and we're going to fake it, you can't fool God. God wants our worship, and worship is a way of life. So when we talk about getting ready for corporate worship, here's your checklist. How'd you do? Are you daily surrendering yourself as a living sacrifice? Are you loving, accepting, and forgiving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you sharing the gospel with unbelievers at work? at school, in the neighborhood? Are you giving to meet the needs of others? Are you showing the fruit of righteousness in your life? Are you trusting God 
with the promises he's made to you. Not the eternal promises, the promises for today. Are you serving him in his strength rather than your own? And are you praising him with your lips? We're going to close our service by taking communion. This is a great time to reflect on these questions and to tell the Lord, this is going to change in my life. I couldn't say yes to this this morning, but it's going to change in my life. And I come and surrender that to you. Because there's nothing on this list that you can do yourself. These are all things that God has to do in you. So what do you have to do? Step one, you have to voluntarily Surrender your body as a living sacrifice to him. Let's do that together today as we take communion. This is not our supper, it's the Lord's Supper. So if you're here as a believer, you're welcome to participate. Ryan's going to lead us in some music. I'm going to ask you to, as the Bible does, to examine your heart and then eat. So this is a time of reflection to say, God, I need to get right with you. And then I'm going to come and take the bread and the cup, reminding us of the body and blood of Jesus and what it cost to redeem us and to make us true worshipers of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this simple remembrance celebration. Bread and a cup, bread and juice, reminding us that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And that he deserves the ultimate cost in our worship. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts this morning and draw out of us the kind of worship that you deserve. We pray it in Jesus' name.